Thank you for listening to the following Thumbs podcast. A family of four isolating against a global pandemic that spreads through the internet and robs a person of their ability to perceive reality, often with violent results, begins to unravel when they suspect that one or all of them may be infected. Shot under COVID lockdown by a real family serving as the entire cast and crew, Red River Road stars the Schuyler family, Paul, Jade, Shaw, and Quinn. Paul Schuyler wrote, directed, shot, and edited the film. Today I'm joined by Paul to discuss his multi-hyphenated work on Red River Road. Gravitas Ventures will release the film on digital platforms on October 4th. When I give a big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring the show today, also would like to thank Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, look at that right behind you. The uh, yeah. I just watched the film last night. So to, <laughs> to, it's not often that you see a movie and then when you do the interview, you're actually looking at the set behind yeah. you. Yeah. When you live on the set, it's that's what's going to happen. This was, I mean, just to jump right into it, this was a movie that stirred up so many emotions for me um, that really encapsulated I think the first 18 months of the pandemic in all of it, where I think when I and it, when it, I have a family, I have a wife, I have two kids, two sons, and I felt like I was, oddly enough, and I felt like I was getting away with this stolen time that I knew it was horrible and the world was falling apart, but there was this part of me that was very greedy. And I was like, oh my yeah. God, getting all this extra time with my family, it's amazing. Then 18 months later, I thought we were never going to kind of course correct from this and we were never going to be the same again. So I'm just wondering if you had a similar experience with this. Uh, you know, to be honest, we did this like right at the beginning. It was an immediate pivot. We were supposed to shoot another movie uh, called The Tuna Goddess. We had financing, we had a cast, the whole nine yards, and COVID just ended that. To even try to attempt, well, first of all, we didn't even know if we'd be able to. This was even before right. they figured out like the protocols. So after a day of being super depressed, I was like, what if we just shot a movie here? Like we we've all acted before we're all trained actors we i have all the equipment i have everything we need so i think because we dove into it right away it wasn't until later that i had time to sort of be in the pandemic because we just put our noses to the grindstone and kind of skipped it in a weird way i mean we were aware of it yeah of course so it's funny to go back and watch it now it's like oh i get to experience internally because i put it on the screen I get to sort of step back and look at what I was feeling at the time. And also we said, my wife and I said that no matter what happens with the movie, we'll forever have this time capsule with our kids. They both just went off to college. They're this is our first year's empty nesters. So like right before we lost them completely, we got to share this experience and, you know, now it lives forever on film. So it's already a win for us. Oh. Yeah. And what a, what a great gift to have. And because you have, you are able to incorporate your home movies from, you know, trips abroad and things like that, but you recontextualize them and make them rather unnerving. And the way that I'm assuming this is old VHS stuff that you were shooting, or maybe it wasn't, but it looks so good. This old stock footage that you were using. Yeah. Some of it was, um, some of it was nice stock, but right, right, right. Um, some of it was just iPhone. Uh, I don't think there's any VHS. I did dirty it up. Okay. To give it sort of a VHS, to give it, you know, even though you can tell by how old the kids are, it's it's old footage, but I wanted to sort of lean into that. And then there's one section um, 
that was actually a camera test I did on the first Black Magic Cinema camera, um, the real widescreen. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dream sequence. I was just testing an anamorphic lens, and I just shot a bunch of stuff, you know, at the beach with them, and it just. I always loved the mood of it, and I never knew what to do with it. Then um, I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to start doing these dream sequences, that's the perfect venue for it. And I, I mean, as somebody who has a 14-year-old dog also, um, how's how's the – do you still have your dog at this point? Or? Here. Here. Okay, okay, good, good. As soon as Zoom meeting starts, she usually stirs and wants to get in on the action. So she she's sleeping right now. But, yeah, she's – She's good. She's still with us. I, it's going to kill me when she does go to have to go back and watch it. Cause she had a brother who we lost. He got hit by a car a couple oh. of years ago. Um, and he's in there briefly. There's brief shots of him and we reference him and but I'm sort of dreading, like I probably won't be able to watch it <laughs> for like another year when she goes. That, that's the rough one. How is it um, putting something like this out into the world? Cause you know, all films are personal. And you right. can feel like there's an autobiographical sense where there's a peek at you as an artist, as an actor, as a director, as a writer. But yeah. really, I can't imagine being more vulnerable um, th than doing maybe if you did a reality show. And even right. that would have more distance, I think, than something like this. Yeah. You know, in a weird way, they're not us. Like, right. Steve is definitely a character. So I can sort of distance myself from that. So. I, I guess just we've had such a warm reception on the festival circuit and in general, the way people have responded to it is pretty much what we intended people's reactions to be. So I feel like I've reached a place where I don't want to say I have thick skin, you know, I mean, when I see a, there's the typical one star, not reviews, but just ratings on IMDb. And it's always like, really? Yeah. A one star. I mean, it's in focus. Like <laughs> couldn't, couldn't muster up three, you know, so it always stings a little bit, but I, luckily I haven't, um, I haven't had to deal with that or confront feeling that vulnerability. Okay. No one's called it into, um, <clears throat> into play, so to speak. So I well, guess we've been in that regard. I mean, you could watch this film and it's impossible if you don't know any of the backstory behind how this came together and you just click on the little thumbnail on Amazon and you were to watch this film. I think you would, the thing you would pick up on right away is the connection between these characters, that it's yeah. something that it's just so lived in and so real for obvious reasons now. But I think that you would see this and think, ah, this is just the acting and the cinematography here and just how lived in everything feels. Right. That you got so much production value out of just that element that I think that that elevates right. it beyond what most films of this sort of size and scope would be. Thank you. Yeah. I had somebody say at a QA, it took them, it wasn't until halfway through the second dream sequence that they realized there was all the same people. They're like, yeah. wow, they got child actors that really look like. <laughs> and we had, um, so we've done a, a screening here in, in town. I actually run the, the movie theater here in Chatham and we did a couple of weeks run of it. And, you know, we let everybody know and there was articles about us in Cape Cod times about how we had made the film. And somebody was heard, overheard coming out of the theater going that's all a marketing ploy they they there's no way they made that by themselves the whole crew made it and I well, was that's like, a compliment this compliment i've gotten yeah yeah that's actually pretty great um yeah. okay so as somebody who is an avid blu-ray dvd physical media guy um the first i mean you could have literally just panned across and zoomed in on your movies because i was so curious as to yeah. what is in there because it looks like 
I mean, I, I felt like I had a decent collection, but my God, how many movies do you have in that basement? Just DVD and Blu-ray, uh, a little over 4,000. So to be fair, we, we used to own a restaurant called the Box Office Cafe. And when the blockbusters all start closing, we bought up all their stock and added a video store because we were already a movie-themed restaurant. We did a lot of to-go pizza and sort of like pizza in a movie. And it just blossomed from like two racks of movies to, I think we had 8,000 by the time we closed. So I sold off all the doubles and stuff I didn't want. And I was like, well, I got all the shelving. I'll just put it in the basement and have my little man cave. It drives Jade nuts. She's like, he's doing it. The moment when you're showing the thing to your family and they're reacting to it, um, had that exact same moment, not with the six-year-old yet, but with the 12-year-old, but showing him and then having my wife and my son completely not get into it and not appreciate it and just have like, what is this? What is this shit you're trying to get me to love to watch? I can't can't listen to that. Don't tell me that. With you, I'm with you 100. You know, I got like yeah. the it was I got in that uh, I got an import of the 4K transfer from uh, the UK, and it just looked beautiful. It's perfect. I'm like, okay, this is the way to show this film. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna show my kid some Carpenter, and he, yeah. he reacted more to Christine, oddly enough. So that was the one that got him more than the thing. That's so it, I, who the hell knows? I, I can't put it together. So yeah. So it's very what, interesting how people. Just what what they like, what they don't like. It's such it's what makes movies so amazing. It's such a personal experience that you know I can I can deliver the visuals and the sound and everything, but ultimately it's whatever prism it's going through that makes it a movie. So well, yeah. it's the it's the what you're bringing to it, and maybe my son is at a place when I showed him this movie that I really wasn't thinking about it at the time that maybe a movie about isolation isn't something that he really wanted to have swimming around in his head. Now right. a movie about his kid that's thrown up his middle finger to his parents because they won't let him have a car and says hell to all. Right. And then the car says, I get you. Okay. Right. May- maybe that's the perfect prepubescent movie in a way yeah. that I have thought about it, but I mean, there, yeah. there could be something to that. Yeah. Um, yeah totally. Did you have a movie that as a family in the pandemic, other than the one that you were making that you would all gather around that was kind of a go-to? You know, God, we just ingest movies here. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot, you know, I made a conscious effort of this is what I'm passionate about. I've been passionate about since I was six years old. Really? So I want to show you the things and try to give it a historical context of why this is a good movie. Like, and preparing them, depending on the movie, like this might be slow or this might be dated. You have to understand this was the first that did it. It's been ripped off a million times. So it's not going to have the same effect. And I try to put them, sort of in the place to to appreciate it. So there's the study of film, and then there's just, you know, Kung Fu Panda 2, which anytime I ask my son what he wants to watch, it's always Kung Fu Panda 2. You know, I mean, if if when I was eight, they had Kung Fu Panda 2, I would have been all over it. I mean, yeah. Not to slam on Kung Fu Panda 2. It's no, awesome. there's nothing wrong with it. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it's it. It's not every five minutes. <laughs> it's, it's that part where um, it's access in a way, because I think my six-year-old, I showed him Chaplin early enough that you know at about four years old that he was able to appreciate that showed him at 10 or 12 he would have seen too many other things that it just wouldn't have connected with him and that i don't have to lecture him about you know kind of sit down and say okay this is why this is good if you just pick up that right moment and show it at the time when they need it i think that's how you can contextualize it for it seems to work for them i screwed yeah. it up on the first one the second one it seems like more <laughs> it's working i totally agree better. with you 
I totally agree with you. Briefly, we homeschooled our our kids and they used to do a throwback Thursday at the theater. So I just made that film studies. So we'd go, we'd watch a movie and then we'd go have lunch and talk about the movie. So the first thing I took them to was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Awesome. I think they were like 10 and 11 at the time, somewhere around that, mm-hmm. that age. And I was even feeling like watching it like, it's great. The writing's great. Newman and Redford, you know, but it is slow. It's got, you know, it's a set. There's, there's a whole chunk where they're, it's like all photographs. It's like, kind of go with the story. So it's kind of dreading like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get an earful when we get out of here. So we get out, we sit down for lunch. And I said, so what's your initial reaction? And my son goes, I just loved how it took its time. And you got to really know those guys. You got to like, you got to live the adventure with them. And and then at the end, you're just so like in the moment with them. And I was like, Thank you. Thank you. Good wow. story. Wow. Yeah. It can break through, you know, the TikTok, the immediate. Yeah. It's it's strange because I, I think this generation is getting unfairly maligned for their attention span totally. because of TikTok and things like that. But they've also embraced long form entertainment in a way, unlike other generations, you know, podcasting, they, they'll have listened to things that are four or five hours long. They'll watch episodic television they'll watch 10 hours of it in a row and they will absorb every album of an artist that they've ever done they know as much about led zeppelin as somebody who was there when it was happening and so they just i I think that they can go both ways in that sense and it's just people that are my age 46 who look at you know tiktok and whatever else that new thing is and i just don't feel connected to it that it's a medium that i just immediately am repulsed by because it's just so short form so like, yeah. you know, the 180 characters, you can't say anything in that. What, what is that? So I, I think I, I, do, I have to say, I do like TikTok. Like I do actually like TikTok as a good sort of, like, I, I guess like a, um, what do I want to say like an appetizer, sure. you know, I'm also interested in, because I think one thing about this generation is they just understand story in a way, you know, because they're so primed for video, for visual cues. In a way that I feel like when we were kids, we had to absorb everything. We had to, what, what's being said, what's, you can say so much in three shots now. They, they, they edit. Yeah. They, they naturally edit. They've been creating right. content and they've been doing that in a way that people that are our age, they didn't do. As far as, you know, guys like you and me that were interested in film, that were making things in our backyard when we were teenagers. Yes, we understood that. But the average kid that you're in school with wasn't editing video on the weekends right. or at night or doing anything like that. They understand story writing structure so much better than we did you know something as simple as they're taking something and adding on to it like that it drives me nuts with that idea of like stitching or whatever that is on tiktok that kind of thing there is a creativity in that that i think that there it's now when i see documentaries and films that are starting to embrace that style it's something that yeah i'm not loving that part of it right now but i think that's just me i'm just old at this point that's all that is yeah, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, there's definitely a part of me as a filmmaker that's I want to explore that because obviously sure. it'd be relevant to an audience that's going to buy tickets. So it'd be dumb not to. Of course. Um, but today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So earlier today, when I went into Bookman's, I was thinking about the conversation I was having earlier today, and I just wanted to 
check out a movie that maybe was a genre film, but had a little bit more on its mind. Something that was a horror film, maybe something that had a political or social commentary underneath it. And when I walked into Bookman's, I happened to come across the 4K edition of Candyman. Uh, the one that Scream Factory put out earlier this year, and it's a phenomenal set. I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight. But today I'm joined by my son, Jacob, who had some questions about Candyman, the movie, when he was looking at uh, the Blu-ray cover. He had some questions. So let's kind of go through those right now. So Jacob, come here. Yes. Uh, what is your first question about this Candyman? Um, um, what? What happens if you say your, his name five times? That's a, that's a good question, because on the bottom of the Blu-ray case, it says, we dare you to say his name five times. So if you look in a mirror in the movie and you say Candyman five times, Candyman will appear. He'll come there. And he'll kill. Oh, well, wow. Um, I, I didn't tell you that, but yeah, that, that's, that's what would happen. <laughs> Because this is make-believe, it's not a real thing that happens, this is just a story, it's just pretend. Good, good, good. So Candyman shows up in the room and then lights out. So do you have any other questions about the uh, the Blu-ray case here that you're looking at? Um, why is there a bee right there? Okay, that's a good question. So the bee is there because Candyman, uh, well, what do you think? Well, if you had to, if you were gonna watch this movie, if you had to think why would there be a bee there, what do you think is going on in this picture? I think a, um, a bee affected him. That's right, he, he was bitten by bees, that's right, yep. That's that's why there's a bee there because the candy man was bitten by bees. And and means so, means he would kill the bees that did that. Well, no, not necessarily. But so, do you have any other questions about this on here? Um, why is he in the eye? Oh, that's candy man. That's just a reflection. So this is this eyeball right here. It represents there's a woman who's looking in the mirror, and then she can see Candyman in the mirror also. So I think that's what that's trying to portray. So I have a question for you about this movie. Do you think this is a movie that a kid should watch? No. Is this a movie that you ever think you'll watch? When you're a grown up, do you ever want to see Candyman? Yes. When you're a grown up? Okay, cool. As long as it's not too horrifying. It's not that bad. It's a lot of fun. Mom loves this movie. I love this movie. So we're going to probably watch this later tonight. How, wait, but how do you know all this stuff? How do I know all this about it? Well, because I like movies a lot. And that's why I have a movie podcast so that I can talk about movies. And why do you actually know all about what's in this movie? Because I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh. Um, the classic one, like part one? Yeah, well, there's actually, there's four Candyman movies. There's uh, three that star Tony Todd, who's that guy right there. He's actually, Tony Todd is a really well-respected genre actor. I like him a lot. In fact, we're connected on Twitter and we end up talking about music a lot. So really nice guy. He's not scary at all, the guy who plays Candyman in real life. And then there was a remake that was done, or I guess it's kind of a sequel to it that was done recently, came out last year, that's really, really good, or a couple years now, I guess it's, it's been out for. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. But, I have a new yeah, yeah. question. Why is there a Broadway deal? Well, that just makes it a little bit more horrifying. So I think we need to get back to the interview. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and say thank you for listening to the show to the people. Bye. Enjoy the rest of the show. You know, and I tell my my kids this all the time. At the end of the day, it comes down to story. Like a TikTok that's 30 seconds long. If there's a compelling story there, even, you know, the most uh, 
you know, sort of base, the basic story. If it's there, that's what's going to grab you. Yeah. You know, people falling down or getting hurt or, you know, like pranky stuff. Unless sure. there's a jackass, there was always a story. It, it might sometimes just be their story or their dynamic, but there is a story that they're telling with their, you know, while they're breaking each other's bones and stuff, you know? So I think at the end of the day, it really is, it's always going to come down to story. And and this generation in particular, I think they're just, you know, their filter is really high on what's going to pass through and what's, you know, their BS detector. It's, you know, it's fine tuned. So there's like, nope, that's not a story. That's not. But when it comes time to engage like a podcast or something, even long form, they'll engage fully and completely. So. I oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, it's that I kind of love this idea of finding a story along the way. And it feels like that was happening. And that's something, look at this, look at this, tying it back together, back to the film. It feels like that's something that was happening in this, where the way that the information in your film is revealed, that we find out what's going on, it almost felt like we were kind of wandering down this path. And I'm not sure how much of this was planned ahead of time or how much of it you found out as you started shooting. I'd say for the most part, it was it was always planned to have the structure that it does where I don't want an exposition dump. Right. I want to find a way to sort of organically give out information. Um, and I wanted the I want the audience to to feel like they're so deep in the story without realizing it that when things start to go wrong, they're way more invested. It's sort of like a Trojan horse. Yeah. I want to kind of sneak in and get you really invested in them but what's going on is really just like them trying to get through a day and on one level it's very banal but that was part of like hopefully the curiosity of like okay i want more like i'm getting breadcrumbs so i'm going to keep following it um so that was all planned out but the stuff like the dream sequence that came out of the editing process i was messing around um with trying to do like a flash of something from the past in that conversation that I'm having with Jade in the bed when we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Where she, you're running in the woods. No, no, we're, um, no, we're, we're in the bed and it was right. It's after he hurts his hand. Oh, got it. Yes. yes, yes yep. You know, that was really scary. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, Oh, it's, you know, can't go on forever. That whole, she mentioned something about him playing football. And I've tried to throw a flash frame of him playing football and it just didn't, it was, I was trying to be clever. It didn't work, but I was like, Oh, she has a dream about football. Like, so I did a kind of a dream sequence of just him playing football. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm onto something. Let me just completely expand on this idea. And it, I think it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the, of the movie and something that audience has definitely responded to. Well, something that I think I like it. There's a magic that happens in filmmaking and it's the way that you can set up things and make things impactful and you can make things work that on their surface level, if you describe them, if you describe somebody walking up to a tar line on a street or somebody walking up into (laughs) an area where grass is pressed down in the backyard and it's unnerving, it doesn't sound like there's anything there, but it's something that you pull up. And it's, to me, it's because you actually, you have so much character build up in this because you do care about these characters and the good measure of any good genre film to me supernatural conspiracy elements from it and would the story stand on its own do you have something to say beyond i'm trying to make you uncomfortable and i think you do here you absolutely do that you could have just hung out with this family 
for a week, for a month, for six months, and it would have been an entertaining story. I was engaged. I was curious where they were going. Um, now, where they actually ended up going was somewhere far different than I would have anticipated in the beginning of this film. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why this film works. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, um, you know, it's funny. I, my cousin, who I used to make movies with, uh, he we don't live close. I sent him an early version of the edit for him to take a look at. And he he actually did a reaction video. He just filmed himself with the movie playing in the corner for the whole thing. Sure. And it was fun watching him go like, oh, I know what's going on. I know what's going on. And then suddenly have me be like, my God, I have no idea what's going on. And then suddenly like, okay, now I know. Oh, now I know what's going on. And I had him up to the end. So I, I he's a pretty good judge of, you know, I kind of trust his judgment on that. So I was, even from that early cut, I was like, okay, I think this works. I think this idea of we keep flipping it and keep flipping it, keep the audience, you know, completely off kilter the whole time. Well, um, I what. When I saw the newspapers, I had an idea in my mind of what this was headed towards. Then the green boxes show up, and then that completely changes what I'm thinking is actually going on here. Then the phone calls and all these elements that are kind of layering themselves on this. And I feel like this is a movie that could have been, maybe should have been made in the 1970s, that it feels of a different era in a tale yeah. way. Well, you know, I was I was telling somebody the other day, I just that's the era I grew up in. Yeah. And so that's just left a permanent imprint on me. And it's fun to watch younger filmmakers discover that because there's definitely sort of this call back to, to the seventies. I think there's a lot of fondness for the eighties and the nineties, which, you know, a lot of excess. So I think younger filmmakers are going back and, and studying like, Oh, I like David Fincher. Oh, David Fincher was completely inspired by Alan Pakula. So let me go check out president's men and parallax view you know, and see where he got that from and following that train down. So for myself, it's just how I, it's just how I tell stories. Cause that's where I learned the grammar of film. So yeah, it, it definitely has that seventies throwback. That's, that's intended. There it's the only thing it's those films of that era. Um, I love the stories, the visuals, the film stock of that era. It doesn't look great. The movie, even the best looking films of that era are kind of, they all look a little bit grainy. They all look a little bit off the, the fashion of the time was horrible and there's a lot yep. of earth tones and yellows and it's just a oh, very, yeah. it's like the whole world kind of just had this uh, almost like a little bit of a cigarette stain on it it feels like everything <laughs> i think it did have a cigarette stain on it actually <laughs> you see those uh you, i don't know if you've ever seen it where they take off the wallpaper and, and it's from somebody who smoked in a house for 45 years yeah and it's like they remove the picture and it's like white underneath and the walls have been yellowed around it yeah. that kind of thing it's i feel like that's what the 70s was in my mind great. that's a great description of it we just did a film festival that i put together that was all throwback movies from a lot of a, lot, a ton of 70s movies all the president's men, bad news bears. So yeah, it's, there is a lot of that. Although I do have to say um, we showed cool hand Luke, which is actually 68. I think, I don't think it's seventies. And that looked amazing. It's like it's of, I mean, it's that it's kind of like there was stuff that was happening in 79, 78. That really feels like it's more of the eighties where it was moving into the more of the blockbuster type stuff. Yeah. So I think the late sixties into that early mid seventies era there, that, that feels like a generation. Of that because the early 60s is really that's more traditional in the 50s style of filmmaking anyway it didn't oh, make that yeah. move so that using those guys for several years into it I, i'm i'm gonna guess that kodak probably came up with a, a faster film stock and you know 
Scorsese and they wanted something that, yeah, you know, they didn't need a ton of lights. They were moving fast. So that probably has something to do with it. Although I will say we showed Apocalypse Now, the 4K remaster. It looks great. Good Lord. That was that that's 80. Is that that's 80 or 81, isn't it? Or is that I, 70s? I think it's 79. Trying to, I I know this is so stupid to derail over something like this. 1979. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. So I was at the tail end, but that's, I mean, Storaro's just, oh my God, he really untouchable, man. Yeah, really nails it. And I think that that's the, um, that version of it, that final version of it that's there. The, the Redux, that was a little bit too much for me personally. I think it was an interesting experiment, something to see, but not something I would ever revisit really. But yeah. that new version of it, the final, I think that's perfect. That and his new, I don't know if you saw the final cut of the uh, the final novel of uh, Outsiders that he did. That's fantastic. No. And that movie looks incredible in 4K. So okay, I'll grab that. I, I like that movie. I haven't seen it in years. It's so, it, it's one of the, that was the, that was the movie that got me to read a book that made me a lifelong reader. So that's that, cool. that was the one that kind of, and especially once it's something that I found out this was written by a teenage girl. This yeah. like this point of view from it. it was like my god this is there's something really incredible here and yeah, yeah. that was yeah. anyway so the the thing is like with your film specifically though um, it's so drenched and so soaked in film love that it yeah. feels very warm and comfortable to me and I think this is a movie that any film nerd anybody that has a family that's dealt with the pandemic is going to appreciate I think you have a movie that actually will it, it will. It's over. I think the the people that are the whole thing here, but also people that just want a good drama that has a little bit of intensity. I think you found something that's a you thread a needle really well here. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I'm concerned about is uh, like horror genre fans, how they're going to feel about it because it it is more drama than horror. I mean, they're see horror. The Chuck, you see the Chucky doll over my shoulder? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm good with it, man. I I and. You know, I should preface that by saying the reason that I love the horror genre is it's the most open-minded. So okay. I don't mean in general. I just, I know there's probably like gore hounds are not going to dig this movie. If that's no. what you're after, it's definitely, it's a slow burn. You got to be with the family. You know, if you're ready for that, I think you really enjoy the movie. But if you're looking for jump scares and stuff like that, um, not a ton of them in this. It's not that kind of a, of I'm a just. Movie. Well, I just thought about it. What's the A24 film that came out about maybe seven, eight years ago that was a zombie movie about a family? Do you remember this? They were in a house. Um, I, I cannot. They come out at night or something like that, I believe is oh, what it was called. It comes. It, it comes, comes at night, night, I think. With Joel Egerton, that one? Yeah, yes, 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 yeah. absolutely. And yeah. so th- that's a movie that is very tonally, very similar to this. Um, it has moment, but really it's a, I, I almost hate slow burn because it yeah. feels like it's, I feel like it's intentional in it's pacing in right. a way. It's not like something that's meandering. This feels like something that the information that you're getting is being delivered in a very specific pace and yeah. rhythm to get to a very specific ending. And so yeah. it doesn't feel like something where you're just kind of uh, like a Robert Altman, where you're just kind of throwing the camera out there and we'll pick it up and see what we're doing with it. It's not that. Yeah, still not like that. I remember the first time seeing Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, okay, how you know? It's like let's let's get there. You know, already it gets a little frustrating. It's it's not that. There's we're definitely, like you said, moving specifically towards something with a deliberate pace. So 
yeah, slow burn is, I just use that as that um, you're not going to get it all right away. Like you got to take your time with it. That's all I mean by slow burn. No, no, no. And and I, I, for one, I appreciate that. It was genre films that got me into film. And I think there's a lot of people like me that um, I went to the theater that was near the college because I wanted to go see Night of the Living Dead. And the thing that was playing... You dropped out there for a second. Oh, I, I was just saying that, like, you know, I went down to the art house theater to see a revival of Night of the Living Dead. And then yeah. that puts you in a theater that's also playing newer films that are more, you know, high-minded in nature. But then you're also, you're putting zombie films next to Kurosawa. And that, in my mind, I see them as the same thing. It's, there's yeah. no difference. And then yeah. it's all just, it's, you're telling the same stories about what it means to be human. It's just you're choosing a different palette. You have a different paintbrush and that's it. And it's just, so I, I feel like the horror fans will appreciate this film because the, the horror is so many things. Yeah. The Fango crowd, probably not, but the other people that just want kind of a, a, I don't know, a human-based thriller, I guess. It's not really a thriller though. It's, I don't, I don't know what to call this thing. I just, I, yeah, it's a family drama that has yeah. a, that has some intense elements to it, I guess. Yeah. That's fair. Go. Yeah. It's definitely a bit of a mashup of of things. We actually went to one film festival and when we got there, we, you know, we had applied uh, their horror section. We ended up in their sci-fi section. They were like, you're a sci-fi movie. I'm like, okay, that works. I, you know, there are those elements there, so you can pull that out. Um, I had a person who was going to come see the movie, but they were like, I don't do horror movies. I was like, it's not really a horror movie. I think you'll like it. She came out and she goes, that's a love story. So there's even that. Somebody saw the love story in it, which there, I mean, there is, you know, the love between the husband and the wife and them trying to stay connected is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's what you connect with. It's what, it's really, that's the litmus test. It's not really what the movie is. It's what you bring to the movie is right. what makes it what it is. It's so it's really, it's that reflection of who you are as the viewer, as opposed to the film itself. And this is, to me, it's just, I mean, yeah, literally I have two boys, I have a wife. This is just felt like this was a family story. This was, I was looking yeah. at an uncomfortable mirror for a lot of this film. So I really yeah. enjoyed that though. Yay. Good. <laughs> yeah. This is something you accomplished. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I'm re highly recommending this to people. Cause I think that this is one of those ones that weirdly enough that I could watch with, um, you know, the people that I just work with, but I could also show this to my mom and feel yeah. good about watching this with either one of those. And there's not many movies that, kind of strike that balance and that's a pretty pretty rare feat so uh, congratulations on that thank you i appreciate that well thank you for taking the time to do this today i really appreciate it and uh, best of luck i'm looking forward to whatever else you got coming down the pike next man thank you hopefully something soon and uh it's great to meet you and thank you for having me on i appreciate absolutely. it absolutely all, right, all right take care man thank you so much you too bye now bye-bye time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
voice crack.